0: So yes, today is Pentecost Sunday where the Spirit of God, who's always been at work all throughout time, empowered the church at Pentecost to be and bring Jesus to the world. And while my message today is not particularly focused on Pentecost Sunday, uh, the Holy Spirit and what happened at Pentecost is all part of the big picture of the Christian faith that I want to look at today. Today is a bit of a, a theological overview of the big picture of our faith. It comes out of a talk that I gave two weeks ago to the Amadiah Interfaith Conference here in Fort McMurray. The theme of that conference was peace and need for the hour, and different faith groups uh, were invited to uh, present theologically their views on their faith and peace. Uh, The Ahmadiyya are a smaller Islamic sect that are considered heretics by the more mainstream Islamic groups, the Sunni and the Shiites. In Muslim-majority countries, uh, the Ahmadiyya experience intense persecution, and in the midst of all of this persecution, they've developed a strong passion for world peace, and, and they hold these interfaith conferences all over the world to promote peace. I think as well what these interfaith conferences really are all about is they help them gain the sympathy of other faith groups in their battle against persecution with the rest of Islam. Anyways, there is a small group of Amadiah believers here in Fort McMurray that held one of these national interfaith conferences for peace, and I was asked to present a Christian viewpoint. You'll see from the flyer that's on the screen that I got attributed to saying something that were actually the words of the Apostle Paul. It was very nice of them to attribute that to me. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, and it goes on. The guy who uh, invited me to speak listened to one of my messages last October, and that's where he got that quote, and he asked me to speak to that quote as uh, part of how Christians bring peace. Um, so my talk at this conference was uh, simply to, uh, you know, just to help the attenders understand the big picture, kind of the theological big picture of how Christians empowered by the Holy Spirit work for peace and how we fight for peace in this world. This conference focused a bit, as I said, on theology, and so my talk was a bit theological. And, and so I, I want to give parts of that talk right now and Yeah, to theologically understand a Christian approach to peace, you got to understand kind of the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And, hey, we we all need to understand this. You and I do. But before I leap into the Bible, I've got a a couple of stories to help build the foundation for all of this. These are uh, my personal stories about my sin-wrecked human condition. That should excite you. But anyways... Let me take you back to when I was six years of age uh, living in an English suburb of uh, Montreal, Quebec. I've, I've told this story before here, but my guess is some of you may not have heard it. I'm six years of age. It's the summer before I go into grade one. Across the street from me lived uh, my good friend, Stephen Cross. He was, well. He and his family were British and his dad had fought for the British in the Second World War. As a memento of the war, uh, Stephen's dad gave Stephen his 303 rifle that he had deactivated. And a lot of stories were told to us about the war and, and that we would be overrun by Nazis if it were not for men like Stephen's dad who fought for our freedom. We were clearly taught that sometimes it takes war to create peace. And that's a perspective that we continue to debate to this day. Anyways, on our street, we would play war. All the kids from up and down Cedar Crescent, we played war games. The good guys were British and Canadian. The the bad guys were German. And and we played with our toy guns. And we played with that incredibly heavy, uh, for a six or seven-year-old, deactivated British 303. Everyone wanted to carry that 303, but mostly Stephen did until he got too tired. And he did get tired. This was at the start of the 60s, so running around with a deactivated 303 was no big deal. That is, if you were strong enough to carry it, it was a brute of a weapon. So I grew up with the idea that sometimes war is necessary and that there are bad guys out there that sometimes you have to fight for peace. As a six-year-old growing up, wanting to become an adult quickly, something else was happening in me. Having the mailman come to your house directly, no community mailboxes back then, this was the highlight of the day. Problem was, only adults got mail. They got magazines, letters, advertisements, all sorts of good stuff. I I remember talking to Stephen and a few kids about how cool mail is, and, and they all agreed. And that's when we concocted a plot to get us some mail. If no one would send us mail... We would go get mail ourselves. We came up with a scheme to get mail ourselves from other people's mailboxes, and then divide the loot among the three of us. But rather than take mail from people in general, we noted that a German family lived on our street. Heck, they even drove a sparkling new 1963 Volkswagen Beetle, perfect. We found our victims. For almost three weeks, a little under that, we would go undercover, hide in the bushes as the mailman dropped mail into this German family's mailbox. We would wait until there was no one around who could see us, and then one of us would go recover the booty of mail. It was so sweet. Magazines, advertisements, bills, all sorts of good stuff, adult stuff. And we divided the take among the three of us. This went on day after day after day i mean what else do you do with your summer holidays as a kid anyways our german neighbors noticed they weren't getting any mail and they checked with our neighbors to see if they were getting their mail and my friend stephen his dad became suspicious and he found a stash of mail stephen was in hot water he spilled it all Stephen's dad told my dad, my dad executed a search of all my hidden spots and found my stash. I was in big, big trouble. And then my dad and Stephen's dad marched us down to that German family to return their mail and to apologize to them. That was tough. What my and Stephen's dad didn't understand was that they had actually taught us to be anti-German. And truth was, people on our street uh, were not all that friendly to that German family simply because they were German. World War II was still a fresh memory on, on my street. Um, the early 60s, the 50s into the early 60s, was not an easy time for a German to live in Canada. So yes, I was a six-year-old depraved Hellion. All right. On New Year's Eve 2017... The front of Fort City Church had some form of bitumen thrown all over the front of our church building uh, and at our church sign in particular. You, You can still see remnants of that to this day. It's been tough to clean out, clean it all out of that porous brick of our building. The purpose was to express displeasure in us as a church because we were sponsoring an Islamic family from Syria to come to Canada as refugees. We had been very public about bringing a family from Syria to Fort McMurray. There was this fear that we might be bringing terrorists into the country. Within a few weeks of that vandalism done to our property, you had the Quebec mosque shooting, and then you had President Trump close the US border to Syrians, as well as people from several other Middle Eastern countries. The Western world was in the grip of Islamophobia. Yeah, human depravity continued to be on full display. What do I mean? Well, on one hand, we all yearn for peace. But on the other hand, there is something deep within us that is destructive to the peace that we yearn for. Christians understand that this yearning for peace comes from being created in the image of God, a God who is love at the core of who he is, and and he just yearns that his creation would live at peace with each other, that we would be at peace with each other, and then at peace with God himself personally. But then there's another side to who we are as human beings. That's all of us, you and me both. This is a key part to the big picture we're looking at this morning, so listen up. While Christians believe that you will never lay eyes on any human being who does not in some way reflect the image of God to this world, we also believe that every single human being is born with a drive to do wrong, a drive to sin we We call it a sin nature. That there's a battle going on in every human being between reflecting the values of our good God in this world while at the same time we are gripped by human depravity, a depravity that is at war with the good in our lives. To understand this Christian worldview, you have to go all the way back to the creation of the world as described in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. We believe God created humankind so that we could each have a personal, eternal relationship with God where we choose to follow and worship God of our own free will. The problem with free will is that we can freely choose to reject God. We don't have to worship God if we don't want to. Um, You don't have to follow God if you don't want to. We can choose to follow his ways or not. But God had absolutely no interest in creating obedient, worshipping robots. He was looking for beings who would freely choose to enter into a loving, honoring, eternal relationship with him. The Bible also talks about another created order of beings that Christians call angels. Angels, too, were created with freedom of choice, the freedom to worship God or not, and the story is told of a group of them who chose to rebel against God. Their leader's name is Lucifer, and and he led an insurrection thinking that he could dethrone the eternal almighty God, his creator, and put himself in the place of God. I don't know what he was smoking, but that's the challenge with free will. So it, it didn't go well for Lucifer and those who lined up with him, They got cast out of heaven and sent to earth. And then, as we read, we come to the creation of humankind as described in the first chapters of Genesis. But here's what you need to know. The devil and his hordes were already on planet earth before we were created. And yeah, Christians, for the most part, accept a literal Adam and Eve as our first parents from whom we all descend, You don't have to absolutely believe this to be a Christian, but most do. And yeah, I'm still waiting for Ancestry.com to get the links all the way back to Adam and Eve. Surprisingly, 23andMe is able to trace my Irish ancestry, along with a large number of men who live in Dublin, Ireland today, to to King Neil of the 4th century. King Neil of the 4th century who was responsible for the kidnapping of Patrick, St. Patrick, who converted Ireland from paganism to Christianity. So I have some bloodthirsty, sexually promiscuous 4th century uh, king in my DNA. Hmm. Maybe I got my drive to steal mail and pick on a German family from him. Can I use my potential genetics as an excuse? Maybe not. You see, my genetics might influence me, but God doesn't let me use that as an excuse. All that to say that as a Christian, I really believe that my ancestry can be traced all the way back to Adam and Eve friends. I believe that. And remember, Christians believe that Adam and Eve were created by God to have an eternal relationship with them, and this would be a relationship they would need to freely choose. And so you have the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, living in what is called paradise. But they were given one command to test their free will and obedience. That one command being they were not to eat the fruit of one particular tree. No other restrictions. Just one rule. But yeah, what happens when you're told that you can do absolutely anything but one thing right you know what happens and then you have another reality at play in the unseen realm a, a realm that sometimes becomes visible you have the devil and his demonic hordes the devil comes to eve tells her that the reason she can't eat of the one tree is because if she does she'll become like god himself and hey the fruit of that tree looks awesome And its potential for her future is compelling. Her husband, Adam, gets into the conversation, he buys in, and they both eat. Christians call that original sin. And with original sin, paradise is lost. The earth begins to deteriorate. The environment begins its downward descent. Today's environmental crisis comes out of that original sin. Death and disease become a part of the human story. Men begin to dominate women because they are physically stronger. The joy of childbirth for women is full of pain. And then, from Adam and Eve, every human being, and that includes you, every human being inherits a sin nature deeply embedded into the core of our being, giving us that drive, that struggle over doing wrong. You have That sin nature. I mean, who of you has not struggled with the drive to do wrong? That's why you've come to Jesus and asked for his forgiveness and asked for his spirit to fill you and help you. So on one hand, every single human being is created in the image of God. Let me say it again. There is no human being that you will ever lay eyes on who does not reflect the goodness of God in some way. Not a one. But that image of God in us is corrupted by sin in every single one of us except Jesus. And every single human being, and that includes you, and every one of us, we will live our lives wrestling with the power of sin that seeks to dominate our lives and lead us into violence, to addiction, to hate, and on and on and on. And it causes leaders to rise in the world who are corrupt, out for personal gain. And if they can, they will use war and unspeakable violence to get what they want. Political leaders, yes, but others as well. You see that in the Ukraine right now. I mean, more drone bombs uh, dumped on Kiev in the last 24 hours. And in the middle of all this, Christians believe that the devil and his demonic cohorts are at work all around the world, enticing people to do what they know they shouldn't do. Hey, almost 50% of all Canadians believe in the devil. My guess is because many of them have had personal experiences where they just knew that they were experiencing some sort of uh, otherworldly negative influence on their lives. And and really, many of you have had experiences where the drive to do wrong seems almost otherworldly. And as I read my Bible, yeah, it just might be. But here's the good news. None of this caught uh, an all-knowing God by surprise. Just after this original sin, as we read in Genesis, we find the first reference to the coming of Jesus Christ. A reference to Jesus Christ, God's divine son, second person of the Trinity, will come to earth and overcome the work of the evil one and, and pay the price for sin. Your sin, my sin, original sin, sin throughout the ages. Friends, this is a big deal. Let me take you to one of the first prophetic references to the work of Jesus. God is speaking to the devil and to the woman just after the first sin of Adam and Eve. And he says, I will put enmity between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This message is a part of our growth series right now. So... uh, a little more complex theology now and then. Well, it fits the theme of this series and is just good for us, okay? Just thought I'd remind you as you're hanging in there. I didn't go into so much detail at this conference, but in Genesis 3.15, God tells us that there will be a battle between the woman representing all of humankind and, and the devil that will go on and on. And by the way, take note that it is the woman who represents humankind and not the man here. So yeah, it's not just the man, but women can represent mankind as well. And the battle uh, talked about here is going strong and will continue to go strong. But who is the he who's going to crush the devil's head? The he is unnamed. Theologians tell us that this is a reference to Jesus. But first we see that the devil will strike the heel of Jesus, which theologians tell us points to Jesus on the cross. While the devil strikes at Jesus with his death on the cross, the cross and the resurrection ultimately crushes the head of Satan. It's an amazing prophetic verse. And of course, there are all sorts of prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Scholars believe that there could be more than 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. This is one of them. And since I was talking to a predominantly Islamic crowd, I, I didn't have time to unpack the complexity uh, of the Christian belief that God is a trinity of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a huge issue for them and one we should be able to talk about. But I did say that Christians believe that Jesus, God's divine son, came to our world to show us how to live, how to love, how to be peacemakers, and then he paid the penalty for sin on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And that personal and world peace are only possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. Let's fast forward. Now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, conquering sin and death, there's a promise at the end of the Bible about a new world coming. Let me read from the last book of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Look, uh, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I am making everything new. Christians believe that a new world is coming. And Christians believe that part of our mission today, right now, is to bring the values of this new world, the values of God's kingdom into this world now as much as we can, empowered by the spirit of Pentecost. This means that Christians will stand and work for justice and peace. We will stand for health and wholeness. We will live and love like Jesus, seeking the help of the Holy Spirit to do so. Our passion is to bring heaven to earth until it fully comes at the end of the age. That's why uh, Fort City Church, just one church among many, uh, we have brought refugees from both Syria and Ukraine to this city. It's why we throw a party like the car show every year. It's, it's one way of bringing a bit of heaven to earth. That's why the Salvation Army, by the way, with a budget approaching $10 million in Fort McMurray, provides social services worth many times more than that to our city. That's why North Life Baptist has a soup kitchen. That's why Evergreen Community Church has a community garden or why the Family Christian Center provides free counseling for kids or Fort City in its partnership with Youth with a Mission provides dinners and a safe place for families at risk every week or hundreds of lunches to high school students every week. Friends, until Jesus returns and fully establishes heaven on earth, we want to bring more and more of heaven to earth until then. But friends, it's a battle. We're in the middle of a battle. A battle that will continue until Christ returns. We have to work and fight for peace and justice and happiness for this world. Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament, this is where that quote comes from, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms there is more going on than we can see. We are not just battling with ourselves, but with unseen spiritual forces of evil that if you do look carefully, you can see at work all over the place. Christians look to Jesus to push back against both our own human depravity and the unseen spiritual forces that incite war and violence and injustice. We team up, with Jesus to make our city a better place, knowing that ultimately at the end there will be a new world with love and justice and peace. Hey, Christians pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray every day that God will bring a little more of heaven to earth and and, and we'll keep praying that and and working for that until Jesus returns and establishes this new heaven and earth. So what will you do? What will you do to bring a little more of heaven to earth today? Maybe you'll get involved in making the car show happen or volunteer at Kid City or volunteer at the soup kitchen, um, fight for justice in so many areas where justice is lacking right how are you working with others to bring a little more of heaven to earth and yes more importantly what are you doing to to help people get to know the king of heaven personally to know jesus in a life-saving life-transforming way let's take a moment to pray and as i often do i just invite you to take the words that i pray and Kind of pray them in your own way along with them, whatever works for you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you that I know you personally and that you have given me your Holy Spirit to empower me to live and love like you in this world. Just thank him for his spirit. And then ask him, Father, fill me anew with your spirit. Use me to make a difference in the lives of people in this city. Help me to make this city a better place to live. And I commit today to being part of your mission of helping others to come to know you personally, that they too can live and love like Jesus and be a part of your world-transforming mission. And Jesus, I so look forward to when you will return, where, where you will make all that is wrong in this world right. But until then, I will serve you by getting this world ready for your return, working to bring your values to earth as they are in heaven. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you may not actually know this Jesus that we've been talking about today in a personal, life-transforming way. You may not have a personal relationship with Jesus that starts now and goes on forever and in your heart there's something tugging at you that says i want that i, I want to know and follow jesus I, I i truly want to be a christian if that's you pray this prayer in your heart with me just take my words again and and pray them in your heart and just say dear jesus i confess that i'm not following you or your ways as i should just just tell him that I I confess that my life is not always in alignment with the values of heaven. Would you forgive me? And now, I, I invite you to come into my life. Invite him in. I invite you to come into my life and begin to transform me into the person you designed me to be. I commit to living for you and your mission in this world on this Pentecost Sunday. Thank you for coming into my life and filling me with your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.